Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Everybody, so glad you could join me on this evening. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing introduction. Please check out um, Ken Quiethawk. Nothing like looking at one thing and saying another. Please check out Ken Quiethawk on the uh, internet. He has an amazing website. Uh, he and his wife are native storytellers, and they preserve history in probably one of the oldest ways. That, that can be preserved, and that's with, with a verbal storytelling aspect to their historical and cosmological belief systems. And it's, it's a, an amazing, wonderful way of sharing history. And I, I, I think, you know, we probably would be better off if we were doing it that way today, but, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, so tonight's show is, is kind of unique for me about a decade ago, that's 10 years, um, my husband and I presented a video called Secrets of the Stones at a megalithomania conference um, in Connecticut. And at that time, I met a gentleman, and he gave me his card, and I tucked it away so I wouldn't lose it. And as with most things, when you want to save them and make sure you don't lose them, you lose them immediately but you lose them in a safe place so that a decade le later you will rediscover the card and um, put a call in. And that's, that's what I did with, um, with, with Robert. Uh, Robert Longley is the creator of um, the Atlantis Project website, and that's the Atlantic, AtlantisProject.org website. Um, he's been searching for Atlantis for more than 40 years, He's been mapping sites mathematically and through satellite imagery, as well as visiting many ancient sites throughout the world. And he's been looking for evidence of Atlantis as a global culture and not just a single location. He's a former intelligent officer, which means he knows how to look, and is an IT consultant. He's, he's created an amazing website that, for me, is very exciting because, among other things, He's pointing out a lot of sites that I did not have any knowledge of were possible Atlantises, 
and he makes a very good case for they they all have something to do with Atlantis. So, welcome to the show, Robert. I'm I'm glad you're here to enlighten all of us. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's you know usually everybody mo well not everybody most people know the um the Plato story and and how Atlantis you know came through history and and Plato told about it and that everybody has been searching for it ever since then. But when right. when he heard about it it was thousands of years old. So, you know, most things don't don't stand the test of time and last a decade, but but Atlantis is something special and I think among other things it's a concept that all of us want to believe is possible. And sure. we want you know, it's we want to believe a romantic notion. Absolutely. Yep. But, you know, as as far as where was it and what happened to it, um, th- there really isn't. I mean, out, outside the Pillars of Hercules, there's a lot of land or water outside the Pillars of Hercules. So sure. um, it, it's kind of like everybody uh, – I, I mean, you, you have on your on your website so many different places that it could have been. I mean – you, you know, you, you've got Spain and Bimini, and then there's El Dorado and Hi, Hyperborea and the Berbers, and I mean, you, you've listed a whole bunch of different places, and you make a very good case for every one of them. Sure. So you know that that's so, one, one of the challenges. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, one of the. Uh, originally, when I put up the website, I was hoping that um, I could get uh, people with different views to kind of come together. But um, there's a lot of very distinct camps about where people think it is. Some people think it's in Bimini. Some people think it's in um, in Spain. Some people think it's in the Mediterranean. And everybody's got a, a good argument for where they think it is. Um, one of the, the best documented is actually work of Jim Allen, um, and he has found a, a site in Bolivia, uh, which he, he says matches the dimensions for Plato. But Plato you know, is kind of uh, fraught with problems because there's uh, debates over the measurements uh, in, the, in the book and whether they were off by a factor of 10. There's also two different pl- pillars of Hercules, ones that we're familiar with at Gibraltar, and there's also another one that is part of uh, Greece. So a lot of mm-hmm. you know, debate o- over what was Plato actually talking about. And then there's the people who think that he just made the whole thing up to teach a lesson about morality um, based on the politics of the time and the corruption that he saw in, uh, in Athens during that time. So you, you've got a lot of divided camps and you know, growing up, I started reading the books by like Charles Berlitz and some of the others uh, around that time, and uh, Ignatius Donnelly and some of the others. And um, they they were fun to read and told a great story, but in many cases, it was hard to document what was actually um, in there. You know, even um, you know, Chariots of the Gods. A lot of what um, von Daniken listed. Once you, he did it from pictures and may not have meant to mislead, but 
um, some of the things that he claimed or wrote about um, really didn't bear up under the, you know, if you started looking under the microscope. So that was kind of me t taking a step back from it, you know, as a teenager and wanting to try and piece the pieces together on my own. And I actually started reaching out to uh, different people at that time um, just to find out what they knew and, um, you know, what try to get some more details. Uh, are you familiar with Maria Reich? She was the uh, German archaeologist who um, documented the Nazca lines. And yeah. uh, as a teenager, I actually uh, corresponded with her through her sister. She was blind at the time. Um, but, um, you know, I reached out to quite a few different people over the years and just to find out, because a lot of times you would see a picture in a book and it's like, where is that? And this, these were the days before, you know, Google Maps and you couldn't go looking for, you know, a, a picture of, say, a, a, um, a fish-shaped mound in the middle of the uh, uh, Bahamas because uh, uh -huh. it, it may not have been documented or, and it was done with infrared um, film. So those sources were a little hard to come by. But in starting to map these things out, I started to notice patterns. And um, people have, you've seen lots of these grid-shaped uh, patterns and maps, various years of energy lines and things like that. Um, but I started noticing different types of patterns. And, you know, the more I looked, they, the more obvious they were. But at, back in those days, I was dealing with the, the, the largest map I could uh, come up with was about five by three, and I had it on my wall. Um, but once you start taking a round surface and making it flat, uh, you distort things. And the, the more sites I put up and the more alignments I came up with, uh, I realized that some of them were not as accurate as I wanted them to be. And uh, at one point, I reached out to the National Geographic Society, and they had, a, they had a database that had been put together in late 70s or early 80s uh, based on a survey that the Rockefellers did in Central America in the 1930s. And... I was able to get a copy of that, but um, even playing with that and as um, things like Google Earth came on, I found that they weren't even close on some of the sites that they originally mapped. So um, I've <clears throat> excuse me, stepped back even further and once uh, Google Earth uh, came into being, I uh, started mapping things more and I have some custom programs that I created uh, to look for different patterns and the basics are that what I'm, I'm finding is that you have different levels of patterns within sites. And a lot of these have been, been documented already. A lot of, you know, you've got the Giza complex, which seems to uh, follow Orion or Cygnus. You have uh -huh. um, uh, sites like uh, Teotihuacan, uh, sorry, Tenochtitlan, uh, that is... Um, uh, organized like the um, the solar system, and yeah. you um, some of the Mayan sites uh, in Central America are mapped out like the Pleiades. 
So you, things like that in context, you start to see um, mathematical information around um, the, the structures themselves, uh, stars and constellation information around sites. And then in between the sites is what I started to look at and finding that the sites seem to be organized around some form of communication. And it, once you start seeing some of the patterns, it's actually the a logical um, structure in a perfect world of how you would lay out a cellular communications network. Uh, it's basically uh, it's circular and we'll, um, and you would have sites connected. And I think they're about 68 miles apart. Uh, figuring out the measurement between the sites becomes a little challenging. And what I found in, in trying to measure things more and more is that we don't know what the reference points are. So um, I'm been, I'll let you talk for a little bit. Oh, no, I, I'm, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking the, the thing that, that has always bothered me is that, that obviously the technology that created a lot of these different sites was not in direct proportion to the ability of the people right. that that we we think you know inhabited them and so my my thing has always been where did where did the consciousness come from that enabled them to do this where who stretched them and and sure. so it it's it's you know, and we spoke briefly right before we came on, and then right. um, at least in in Orkney there was a place that was created as a school where where tribes would send their smartest and brightest to be educated by the wise people who were there, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I kind of am wondering if maybe that's that's what has happened. And, and as I said before, that, that that I really believe that a lot of this technology and a lot of this insight and a lot of this understanding comes from before the last mass destruction, certainly before the younger Dryas days. And and you know, yes. and then you have to go back. Then you have to go back, depending on what map you're looking at, um, eleven thousand, fourteen thousand years is is kind of when the last ice age ended and and so that so that what's what's going on here is you know everybody kind of glides over and says one thing and then moves on when they don't have an answer and and that bothers me greatly because there is a level of consciousness that that some people had that other people didn't have and and they became teachers and wise people or helped to to teach people to question things a little more deeply but and to me Atlantis is a symbol of something but maybe maybe Atlantis didn't even exist maybe it was a sense of a level of consciousness that that people had and and they were the ones that came from not the stars because I, I'm not sure I believe in that you know I'll you know, I'll believe in a little gray when one comes up and you know trick or treats on my door, but sure. but it it seems to me that that 
there is we we're missing something and and with with a lot of our antiquity we've made up stories that satisfy us but they come from our frame of reference they don't necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they're for the the great pyramid at giza um wasn't a burial chamber Cheops no. didn't build it and, and and the sphinx same thing i mean there are so many things here that we take for granted that we should be asking questions about and i don't know how we answer them but atlantis is a concept and and you know you, you certainly have found evidence for it all over that spain was one of my favorite places i mean spain makes great sense but sure. how, how do you explain that it sank because spain's still there well i i think you you have to kind of look at what we know about the planet's history and that's where i've tried to take a i've tried to actually look into specifics to find real clues that other people could go find on Google or Google Maps or actually go visit themselves. And Uh I think the destruction of Atlantis really ties back to the Younger Dryas uh, event, which you referred to, which I'm not sure the exact date, but it's roughly 13,000 years ago. And based on the evidence that a lot of evidence has been found just in the last year um, to support this. So in a nutshell, what I believe happened was um, we were hit with a large asteroid strike. Uh, The first ones hit uh, in Greenland, and they found evidence of that. Um, Uh And they continued uh, across the planet, uh, hitting northern Europe. And uh, there's evidence in Scotland and other places of forts being simply melted. And that's not a technology that... um, was available to the average um, citizens or or, uh, residents at that time. Uh, But getting hit with an asteroid would definitely do that. The same has been true um, all the way. A recent site in Syria has been found to um, be largely melted and show evidence of uh, asteroids. And even in Egypt, the most prized iron uh, was came from meteors, meteorites. So, as well, that was happening. The other thing that you, uh, is a good telltale sign is the Sahara Desert is strewn with um, with glass um, that's basically been melted. It's some it's a phenomenon that um, is common in nuclear blasts. Uh-huh. But it's easy to find chunks of this glass uh, throughout the Sahara. So I think you had, you know, just a whole bunch of uh, meteors striking the Earth, and many landed in the Atlantic and just vaporized huge quantities of water at the time. We we know geologically that um, the Atlantic was uh, between 150 and 400 feet lower than it is uh, in the present. So uh, if you look at, you know, just history of man, at any given time in known history, 80% of the world's population lives within 500 feet of sea level. So I think when the initial strike took place, um, you saw a 
a drop in sea level of uh, probably about 150 feet. And it continued because of the amount of debris that was put into the atmosphere. Um, you saw a period of warming, which eventually um, the, the lower sea level continued to, to rise uh, to its you know, current. So I think you basically lost the people who had beachfront property um, in the first wave, and they moved uh -huh. inland or um, as to the extent that they could escape. Uh, I think it was a total cat, cat catastrophe for most people. Uh, and you see sites like um, uh, the reshot structure in Mauritania, which uh, a lot of people think is it's referred to the, as the eye of the Sahara. Um, in yes, with they, a, yeah. Talk about talk about that for a second, because that you have a picture of it on your website, and it's fascinating. Yeah, um, it's it's very interesting, and I, I wish it could be activated more. Um, Mauritania is on the uh, no-go list for the State Department. Uh, not to mention, it is just extremely dangerous area, both from a you know likelihood of you being killed by uh, the locals or um, just the environmental factors. It's extremely hot and um, uh, poisonous insects and things like that. So it's not recommended that you go there. There's a couple of people who have done it and they've posted videos on uh, YouTube. Uh, but the, the area is so... Um, it's it's really just kind of a garbage field. Uh, that area of uh, the Sahara is on a trade route, so there's a couple thousand years of trash that has basically been deposited there over the years. So it's really hard to tell what might be um, real ruins or just artifacts and what has just been discarded by people traveling through the area. Um, I don't think anybody has no, – nobody at this point has done any excavation there to say one way or another that it is, in fact, Atlantis. But if, if the sea level had been lower, um, that would have been a logical place for a port city uh, that led out into the Atlantic. So there's, it's definitely a possibility. Uh, I've approached the Atlantis subject as – not just a single place, but um, a common uh, construction technique for cities. Because I think uh -huh. there were probably at least 12 city-states, which actually goes back to the tradition of Plato's original story about um, there were 12 groups of twins, supposedly. Um, and in, in the area north of Mauritania, uh, twins are actually fairly common uh, from a genetic perspective. So you've got that connection. And around the Atlas Mountains, again, the ATL, uh, which is prominent around the Atlantic area and ties back again to Atlantis and Atlas. So there's a lot of connections possibly there. Um, if, you, if you look for circular cities, they're everywhere. Um, Carthage, um, if, if um, the reshot structure is, you know, that's one. Uh, Mexico, when Cortez uh, first got there, you know, there were, <coughs> excuse me, um, you had the circular city in what is now uh, Mexico City. There's 
um, just lots of examples of it. And I think those were just the instructions that people were given. Here, this is what you need to build. Uh, we see uh, similar construction techniques on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, one of the sites that is often referred to as Atlantis uh, is Bimini. Uh, most people have probably seen pictures of the Bimini Road. And it's uh -huh. actually a J-shaped structure, which is very similar to uh, some of the pier structures uh, in around what was Carthage. So um, either the traditions traveled with people or people were given the traditions in multiple places. And, you know, we even do that today. I mean, people, if they look at their houses, there's, there's capes, there's gambrel roof, you know, the, the houses don't change much, and there's common dimensions about how things are done. So uh, I don't find it that unusual that you would have um, multiple cities uh, around the world that uh, had a similar structure. It was actually pretty efficient. You'd, you know, everybody gets beachfront property. Um, you have easy, easy commerce, you know, by having a, a series of rings where um, boats and stuff could come in. And, you know, canals were uh, much bigger than we, we think, uh, especially in Central and South America and even North America, although we've done a really good job of destroying most of them. Uh, Florida yeah. in particular uh, still has lots of evidence of um, a huge canal network that existed at one time. And I think uh, it was actually pretty prevalent in um, you know, Louisiana, and that area, but just from flooding from the Mississippi and stuff, a lot of them have been filled in and swamps and stuff. So uh, it, it's hard to find all the missing pieces. Well, you know, it's I have found of late that a lot of the fables and myths and stories that, you know, we, we played with as we were growing up, and I've always... I, I mean, I read through whole sections of the library was, when I was in high school because I was so fascinated with it. But, but all of these stories of, you know, of gods and of huge floods and all of it, um, we are finding today that that they weren't stories. If if a myth has lasted to this point in time, thousands of years later, <laughs> it probably happened. Right. And and so it, I think we need to revisit a lot of these these um, fables that, that, you know, we've just sort of ticked off as, you know, that was something that the people, you know, they, people talked about this to keep their kids from, you know, getting in trouble and stuff because it's not the case. And especially with the, the, the big floods and everything, I mean, that that's easily described by a, an asteroid or a comet strike or um, – you know, so many other things so that we, we need to really look back at these stories, and Atlantis is one of them. I mean, you know, sure. they, they have Valhalla. They have, um, I'll say it I'll say it wrong, um, Hyperborea. I mean, yeah, Hyperborea. And, and El Dorado. Oh. I, I mean, or these, e are, even these are all. Just look at the Bible, you know, the Book of Eden. You know, where was the Garden of Eden? Yeah, it's. Um, and it, if you look at the translation, the, one of the problems with the Bible is that it's been translated so many times and, you know, uh, that 
a lot of times the translations got missed. I've heard uh-huh. that one of the better translations for uh, in the beginning is from that which was, which opens up so many more possibilities. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. and it talks about you know different traditions talk about man being fashioned from mud, you know. So, and I I think the the you know the flood of Noah um, actually was about uh, three or four thousand years later. Uh, and I haven't written too much about that, but recent evidence in uh, Israel has found that uh, a huge deluge took place there, um, probably about 3,000 years after the Younger Dryer event, which kind of tracks with the, the Bible as well. Uh, if you look at some of the other sources, um, the Library of Alexandria, for instance, um, supposedly had... Um, over 100,000 years of history prior to Noah. So, you know, it's, we, we don't know how much history we've lost. Well, it's such a shame because, you know, that old saying, those who don't know history tend to repeat it, which is unfortunate, yep. but uh, we seem well, to be Well, one of the interesting that. things I find is that um, it used to be that when you said Atlantis to anybody who's in the academic world, they just kind of scoffed at it because it was kind of a kiss of death. Um, Mm -hmm. If you try, if you tried to be an academic and, you know, the days of Clovis were, you know, that was the, as far back as you could go. But um, in recent years, they've started digging below that. And what are they finding? They're finding stuff. So, you know, now that, you know, 10,000 years, is not the the barrier that it was before. I think they will start finding um, a lot of things that um, shouldn't be there based on the the current history books. Look at Gobekli Tepe. I mean, right. That's 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 one of my favorite things. I, I spoke with someone on that just the other night, and what what gets to me is they've got twenty acres, and they've only uncovered about five five of these structures and sure. and it's fascinating they they have analyzed stuff and they've made decisions on stuff and but but there are like acres and acres of ruins there yet you don't know what else is buried there to suddenly you know say i've got it i've got it when it, it it's like you know the blind man and the elephant um Depending yes. on where he's touching, he's going to describe it in one way or another. And um, I'm fascinated with all of it. I'm also fascinated with how mankind, humanity, if you will, is able to have figured out the progression of the equinoxes um, as rapidly as they have. And and sure. it seems to me, you know, Tens of thousands of years ago, they were aware of that, but they hadn't invented the wheel yet. So it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> right. Either, the, either the technology, yeah, it's gone in the wrong direction. Yeah. One of the things so we, that we, I find especially interesting is the fact that um, the further you go back in time, the blocks get larger. And, mm. you know, you have uh, sites like Baalbek uh, in Lebanon where you have some of the largest blocks ever cut on earth. And we, in some cases, we don't even have the equipment to move them today. 
So, you know, what sort of technology, you know, ropes and wood rollers wouldn't have cut it for a lot of these blocks. Um, the uh, Western Wall in Jerusalem is a, is a good example, uh, not quite as dramatic, but if you ever go there, um, towards the top they have, you know, relatively small blocks. And mm-hmm. as you get down to the bottom three or four layers, they get much larger. So um, over the last couple of years, I've started looking at um, a lot of Roman sites because uh, that's uh, where it, it, it's, if you know what you're looking for, you can start to see it. Um, but it really appears like a lot of these Etruscan and pre-Etruscan were simply built on top of. And so what may have been Atlantean or Atlantean era sites Uh um, suddenly became the the foundations for these new buildings. Uh, And if you 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 look at them, you see that the the construction is completely different. They didn't just make larger blocks for the foundation. They built on something um, that probably wasn't theirs. And uh, this has been a common issue uh, with the Mayans. You know, they had a tradition uh, when a new ruler came in, they would kind of tear things down and, and rebuild it. So it makes it hard to date things when they're constantly <laughs> yeah. being redone. And so... Or they built know, trying over to go the old back. ones. They, they built over the old ones. And this, is, this isn't just true for, you know, these types of cultures. You know, even our more modern cultures, if you look at a lot of the... Uh, religious sites that you know Christian churches are built on. They're built on ancient historic sites. We basically you know stole the uh, significance of the site for our own purposes. Mm-hmm. So you know a lot of things I think are hidden in plain sight. Well, yeah, and you know I've <coughs> secrets of the stones. Nobody can explain how. People did the corbel construction when they were trying to plant fields and survive. Um, right. They're too big. And, and you look at pl- places in Peru, same thing, huge stones. Egypt, huge blocks. How how could a culture, I mean, and you can't tell me that 20,000 men labored for 20 years to do this. doesn't make sense. Right. It, it doesn't make sense. So... And so we've missed a point here. <laughs> and and if you start looking at, you know, some of the stones uh, in particular, you can find evidence of varying technologies. So um, yeah. a lot of stones are have evidence of being cut with saws. Um, they're very, mm-hmm. um, you know, even cut marks on, on a lot of these. Uh, some show uh, that they were drilled with pneumatic drills because um, they've done studies about how what the uh, feed rate is for um, a, a drill and what you could do with a like a copper tube versus a high-speed pneumatic. Um, and and then you have sites like um, uh, Pumapunko where you have uh-huh. these, they're like Legos, <laughs> giant Legos yeah. that... Um, uh, clearly so shine signs that they may have been poured rather than than cut, which is, you know, you see this same issue in um, Saskiumen and in Egypt 
where a lot of the blocks have these nubs on them, uh, which is more of a characteristic of having something been um, poured as opposed to cut. And if you look at the, there are pictures of the top of the uh, Great Pyramid of Giza. And if you look at the blocks very carefully, there's an indentation uh, around the outside, which is what would happen if you, basically, it's like if you um, stacked bricks on one another while they were still wet, and they basically sunk into the, the blocks below them. So there's things like that that you are are common around if you know what to look for. Well, and and in a lot of places there's no mortar that they they literally are so finely cut right. that they just you know you can't put a, a dollar bill in between them or a credit card in between them. So so you know I mean. You're looking for Atlantis, but you're also looking, apparently, and, and I think appropriately, for the culture that did this, the culture that seeded right. the consciousness of humanity. And and um, there are rumors. You know, you, you hear stories of, of the giants or the wise men or the whatever, and, and, and yet nobody ever follows up on it. Um, sure. The, the the magi, you know, they 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 weren't magicians; they were astrologers or astronomers, mm-hmm. probably both. Um, but but we've we've sort of just glossed over it all in telling our history to our children, and and not really gone into well, who who were they? Where did they come from? Where did they, you know, it's it's kind of like you get to the point where you understand a concept of God, and then you want to know who made God. You know, it's, it's right. sort of like take it back further. And I keep hitting, I I hit the wall at the younger driest days and mass extinction. It's almost like I, humanity supposedly has been on the planet for over a hundred and thirty thousand years, or or you know, or even longer. So we've been here on the planet for a very long time, and and parts of us have survived five mass extinctions, um, and and over that period of time, apparently every time one hits or an asteroid hits or something happens, we get taken back to the Stone Age and have to start all over again building up what what culture and civilization is, and right. and. It's. It seems to me that there are records or reminders that we've done this before in in things like the Great Pyramid and things like some of these out of place objects that can't possibly have. I mean, they've got they've got batteries that apparently right. somebody <clears throat> used um, and electricity. Yeah, in, in, in go ahead. Yeah, there's um, there's. In some of the carvings in Egypt, there's uh, what appear to be electric lights, um, uh-huh. and that's still speculation. But they definitely know that um, a lot of jewelry, in particular, was was electroplated. So um, they know the technology was used. You know, there's also speculation that they um, understood nanotechnology. The um, the blue pigment that um, a lot of um, 
drawings in Egypt uh, used is actually has nanotechnology properties to it. And that's, um, that's probably not coincidence. Uh, corn, for instance, is uh, uh, it's, you won't find corn in the wild. You might find wild wheat, wild rice, but corn uh-huh. um, has basically been man-made. And it, you know, it started as a grass, um, but really it, after the Younger Dryas event, Somebody ne- needed um, a food source that was reliable, and they su- suddenly started turning what was just a local grass into something that has become, you know, a staple for most of the world's population. Again, younger Dryas, you know. Yep. I think that's where all of this off. starts to. Yep. Um, what I what I think happened as the the survivors were scrambling. You know, they were primarily a coastal uh, civilization in all the areas that they occupied. Um, but they suddenly needed to um, have new food sources. All of their uh, their foods were wiped out. And um, if you, they've done studies on you know what happened to the the woolly mammoth, um, and they think originally it was they died out with the ice age, but um, the current uh, convention of thought is that they were actually hunted to extinction, which means you had a lot of people that were hunting mammoth uh, in North America. Uh, in South America, um, uh, there's a um, professor at uh, UPenn, Clark Erickson, who's been studying the, the Bene region of Bolivia uh, for years. Uh, and they have uh, raised platforms uh, throughout the Amazon, and you see it on a smaller scale in uh, in the Andes uh, with the Inca. But uh, these are essentially mounds uh, that would have had um, potentially corn and squash was a, a huge um, food then, and then they were all uh, interconnected with waterways. Uh, this actually had two different effects. One, it um, it regulated the temperature around uh, the vegetables that they were growing, but it also potentially acted like a giant radiator for the planet uh, as they find this more and more extensive through the Amazon. The Amazon today, you know, is a huge source of the Earth's oxygen. And, Uh you know, they may have needed to do some advanced terraforming. Um, This would, if they, in a large area, it could have actually helped um, control the uh, the temperature of the planet, but the the bigger issue is that the uh, amount of gardens, uh, these raised beds that they found just in the Amazon, um, would have fed a population probably ten to fifteen times what they believed to be in South America at that time. So, I think you are dealing with different parts of the globe uh, producing different. Um, products on a fairly large scale. You know, they've found, well, in, you know, ev- go ahead. Now, in Michigan, they have ancient flower beds, too, that that um, are huge. They're, they're way beyond what a simple village would have would have utilized. And the other, it's all the around, other thing in Michigan, the other thing in Michigan <laughs> is copper mining on a huge scale. Uh-huh. And, you know, the 
Um, the the legendary uh, metal of Atlantis was, um, I believe it was pronounced oracalcum, and they've never really determined what that was, but they think it was some sort of an alloy of uh, copper and tin. And um, a, a group of, bar, of bars this were found um, a couple of years ago in the Mediterranean. I, don't, I haven't seen the actual analysis of them, but you know, assuming it was copper and tin or something similar, um, you know, I've looked at you know where were certain things mined. You know, you have a lot of mining in Wales and uh, the British Islands. Um, another unusual thing that we've seen in Mexico and certain other places is uh, use of mercury. And I, I don't know what that was used for or why they did stuff with it, but, um, you know, there are certain areas with extensive mercury mining. Same with iron throughout Africa and elsewhere. So uh, yeah, things on that, a large that, scale. That brings to mind, too, I, I know in one of the um, pyramids, in South America, and yes. then in the in the um, tomb of the emperor, the first emperor, um, yep. there was liquid mercury, liquid mercury in both places, and Correct. it was used to to replicate rivers and stuff like that. Where, first of all, where did they figure out what it was and how to process it? You know, getting mercury processed so that it is liquid mercury is is not an easy process. So right. where did that come from? And who, who accidentally found out how to do that? Or, you know, was that, uh, you know, knowledge given to them? Exactly, yeah. It You know, it, it you, you make a great case for the fact that there was a culture or there was a – I come back to consciousness because um, – mm-hmm. It it it's kind of like um, the the beds in in Michigan. They planted corn, they planted peas, they planted squash, and the three of them together made sure that the beds were you know first of all very productive, and second of all you know it, the the corn kept it kind of enclosed so that predators couldn't come in and get at it, and. The mines in 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 Michigan have been in. Now, you know it's, it's funny. I I sometimes you know when when you say it's been so so many years since something happened, and then you realize that so many more years are piled onto it. But but Michigan, the mines there had been in production for nine thousand years. That takes you almost back to right after the uh, Younger Dryas days. Right, and 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 the, I think those dates are only based on what was acceptable to date it at. I think they're actually much yeah. older. Well, it, it's it's very much iron and copper are very similar in that 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 they have a DNA sort of of their own, so that if you can get a piece of copper and and test it, you you can tell where it came from what what literally what mine it came from and the same with iron and i think they found that a lot of the the uh copper that was from from michigan ended up in um italy and spain and you know right. and in europe so that so that but but this oracorium i that that fascinates me because that goes back 
to um, Atlantis, to Plato talking about buildings that were made of this material. And isn't there zinc in it too, or is it? Yeah, irradi- again, they don't they don't know exactly what it was, but probably some combination of copper, tin, and zinc. Okay. Again, I don't. They've never actually found, uh, although this. Um, these ingots that they found a couple of years ago um, may fit the bill, but I, I've seen what the analysis was of how they're made. But so, so they have these 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 bricks of this. What was it used for? Um, I mean, they, I don't know. You know, they. You know, just it was I, the metal of choice for doing things. Was it jewelry? Was it? Um, I don't know. Uh, Eating utensils was it? Was it spears and knives and and swords? I mean, I I know that you know the the Iron Age came when iron was started to be used. But what what are the what is what are the um what makes oricorium oricorium and and you know what would you use it for? Nails? Um, I don't know. I think I think it was probably just a a, a general purpose. Um, metal that was used for artwork and construction. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of these large uh, stone structures that you you know you said they don't typically have mortar, but a lot of them do have clips that hold the blocks yeah. together. Um, I don't in a lot of the ones in South America, you know, the the Spaniards and different people have you know, stole that they're thought to, that they were probably gold or, or something. But uh-huh. people have stripped them for whatever money they could get them. So a lot of those types of clips were used, or they may have just, you know, through the uh, elements have, uh, you know, rotted away. So I don't know, you know, we, we've never, we don't have any firm uh, evidence of what it actually was. It's a lot of speculation. Uh, but, you know, based on the fact that copper mining was done on such a large scale, uh, it's pretty safe that uh, that was one of the main ingredients of it. So it, it could have been used for just about anything. Because didn't, didn't Plato say that, that there were buildings that, that they had that that were yeah, built from it, it or, yep. yeah, that they glowed mm-hmm. red in the sunlight or something like that? Yeah, huh. which kind of hints at uh, copper. Yeah. True, true. So, so we've got all of this, all all of this material intelligence. I mean, I can understand why you're into this. I mean, it just you know you get you get some facts and they and they suddenly say, wait, you know, they wave red flags at you, and you certainly have a lot of red flags waving here. Um, sure. How do you know where to look next? I mean, you, you've you've got all of these different places that you have certainly you know tr- you know targeted as possibilities. Um, we have ground penetrating radar now, so that you know you're able to go and look and see where wh- where is it that that they had. Um, I guess it was Spain that 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 area that flooded that you know they they looked yeah. down and yep. they they used the, the they salt used the marshes. Pen- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been one of the areas that above ground has 
Uh, it got a fair amount of attention, um, but I don't know that they've really done much in the way of excavation. Uh, the the, the speculate there was some uh, work that was done in the 1970s uh, that the the city of Cadiz um, it, actually off the coast. There's actually more ruins supposedly. So again, it, it fits with with the idea that there was something in that area. Um, you know, it mm-hmm. just there's been a lot of stuff found in, in Spain, whether it's on the East Coast or um, one of my favorite pieces of artwork is um, came from uh, an area called Alicante, which is in the, um, it's south east of Barcelona. Um, and again, the, it, uh, the Lady of Elche, as it's referred to, <clears throat> is the bust of a woman um, in a costume that doesn't match with anything else in the area. The the site is attributed to the Romans, but um, it may be much older than that. So, and if you look at the um, the, the statue, uh, it actually resembles uh, Princess Leia a little bit, and it also looks like some of the Mayan headdress uh, artwork that's out there. So there's, you know, traditions like that that uh, um, you see in different parts of the world. Now, you made a very good case for the Berbers, Berbers being, being sure. you know, descendants of, of Atlantis. Do you want to kind of share that a little bit? That that was pretty interesting. Sure. I mean, they're in the right place. They're in uh, northwestern Africa. They're above Mauritania, which would be the... Um, if the eye of the, of the the reshot structure or the eye of Africa is, uh, they uh-huh. tend to be um, Caucasian. They tend to have blue to green eyes, and they have a high um, number of twins as part of their population, which was one of uh, Plato's characteristics that he said that um, there were many twins in, in the land and. Um, it was actually the ruling groups were groups of twins. Uh, there were uh, 12 groups. So I think those actually represented 12 city-states, which tells me that you know, there may have been uh, a central place, which is often referred to as Posidonia. Um, but I think there were probably at least half a dozen of these um, city-states around the area of uh, the Atlantic on both sides. Um, I think you will, if if they start looking, you may find one that would be in Northern Africa and Spain, on the um, in the Caribbean, Brazil, uh, the Azores. There's just lots of opportunities for. But once you take the, the water out of the Atlantic, it gives you a lot uh-huh. more to play with. And I don't think it was. It may have been an island. I don't necessarily think it was. I think it was just coastal areas. Uh, One of the things about Africa uh, that most people don't realize is that there used to be a giant lake in the middle of the Sahara and a series of rivers that connected (coughs) probably the Mediterranean with somewhere um, in the southern part of uh, eastern Africa. So... uh, it is possible that half of Africa may have just been a large island, uh, depending on how large the body of water was that originally went through the middle of it. 
but there were they know there are at least three main rivers that uh, no longer exist that would cut north to south from the Mediterranean um, through Africa uh, and the Sahara. So there's possibility that that was was part of it. Uh, the other big thing that is common is just the ATL um, reference uh, that shows up in place names and cultures and stuff. You know, you have the Atlas Mountains, where the Berbers live. Um, uh-huh. You know, lots of references well, to that. I think that that when when people start talking about Atlantis, they envision uh, the geography of the planet sure. as it is now. And and you, you bring up a great point that that um, the Fertile Crescent, which is now you know basically just desert and you know icky um it was fertile it was you mm-hmm. know uh if you go back enough uh, thousands of years you will find that not only was was the terrain much different but the weather was different the tilt of the earth was different and and i think it would it would be a a great teaching tool to to somehow create what geographically the world looked like um, 9,500, 11,500, sure. 14,500 years ago gives you a better understanding of, among other things, the level of the oceans. And and I wanted to go back, you know, you talked about the woolly math, mammoth, and, and how do you explain then the woolly mammoth that was fast frozen and had bluebells in its mouth? Sure. Um, again, this I believe this ties to the Younger Dryers event. If you've uh, ever seen the movie The Day After Tomorrow, you know, you have global warming where things suddenly collapse. And uh-huh. I think, you know, you would have, um, with the the meteors striking the, the water, there was just millions of gallons of seawater that were, were vaporized and put into the upper atmosphere which um, for a while raised the temperature, but at some point, you know, something happened with the jet stream and you had a sudden collapse. So, um, yeah, temperatures froze, you know, almost overnight in certain areas, and that's how you have those types of examples. Okay, that makes sense. So, So I I think that, that, you know, as a – you know when you when we talk about Atlantis that if if you're talking several hundred feet you know um, more of coastline then then you're then you don't know and, and the fact that just look today uh civilization is really clustered around around the the, right. the water's edge so to speak so if you add another four or five hundred feet to it um it would stand to reason that advanced civilization is is probably hidden there, and you know, like on your website or somewhere, you said hidden in plain sight. I think that that you know you have to consider that. I mean, even even looking at the uh, that underwater structure that they found off of the coast of Japan. Um, sure, Yanaguni. I, I yeah. Uh, it it looks man-made although they're they're saying it's not but it still feels like it's man-made 
Yeah, I think it is man-made. I, the, I think the problem people have with it is that it doesn't seem to be anything specific. It's just um, a series of very straight, angular um, things. So it's, But we see some of that in South America, too. You see blocks that seem to be cut for no reason or um, steps that are 20 feet high uh, again, why would somebody do that? It, it doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, but I'm sure there was a, a good reason for it. Yeah, it in the, you don't have to go that deep either. I mean, the, we know that uh, parts of the Atlantic were um, up to 400 feet lower than they are today, but even in the Mediterranean, there are at least 200 cities that are documented underwater in the Mediterranean. Yeah, there's a few that we... Yeah, Alexandria, there's a couple of Egyptian cities that um, have been pretty popular in the last few years, but um, most of them, it's, you know, the locals know about them. There's not much to see. You've got a lot of silt. Um, they're expensive to excavate, and, you know, they've been documented by somebody, and they just leave them alone. But, um, you know, when you figure there's just in the Mediterranean that there were that many cities, just imagine what there were um, elsewhere in the world. In India, for instance, you've got two major cities that were part of legends for years that, you know, in the last you know, 10 to 20 years, they've actually found evidence of. Uh, and they're, you know, they date from this same time period. Huh. Is there, is there you anything? Can only... I, no. I know that, that you know, that, that there have been some theories about, um, being able to trace Atlantean survivors' DNA, um, whether it's the Rh negative or whether it's a certain blood type or or whatever, is is there any way of um, linking some of these cultures together with 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 DNA to sort of trace where where if there were Atlanteans, and I do believe there were. Um, mm-hmm. you know, where they came from or where they went to. Yeah, that's um, – I think eventually that may be the case. Um, you know, for up until I think two years ago, they basically thought everybody on the planet could be traced back to a couple people. Uh, and then there was a gentleman in South Carolina who showed a DNA, DNA pattern that pushed back the, the timeline of – man that they knew about by 50,000 years. So, you know, if you if you figure that it was a, a coastal civilization and most people were wiped out and the remainders just moved inland, and then in the last 10,000 years, I think there's been a lot more commerce uh, between the different parts of the world than uh, the history books um, provide credit for. Uh, it's hard to know exactly how much uh, diffusion of DNA has has taken place. I think it's more than uh, what people would think it is. If you uh, look around the area around Stonehenge, for instance, um, the DNA profile there shows that um, a group moved into the area, uh, I think about 5,000 years ago, that uh, seemed to come from Turkey. And you know that's, hmm. that doesn't match with any of the 
the history of what we know from the area, but that's what the DNA tells us. I think you would find similar patterns of of DNA the further you go back. And and don't the Cherokee um, isn't there something with yep. their DNA as well? Yes, um, they they have um, Middle Eastern um, elements to their DNA. You, you, there's the more you look into this, the more cross-pollination you see between uh, different cultures. You know, the, the speculation well, it, is that... Go ahead. Yeah, no, it, may, it, it does make you wonder. You, you tend to think of all these places as isolated clusters, and yet it seems that, that, that there was certainly a little bit of connection because the DNA seems to be kind of blurred. I mean, you don't have... Um, you don't have anything that is so isolated that they they haven't spread themselves out a little bit from time to time, so that right. So, so there had to be more communication than we know of. Yeah, and even just in you know the more modern times of you know Greece and Rome, you know there are fairly well documented, although they haven't actually found any of these. Um, talking about uh, these long boats that were, you know, hundreds of feet long that had, you know, over, that had a few hundred people rowing. Uh, mm-hmm. They've never found anything quite that large, although there was one of the um, Roman emperor's um, pleasure boats that was, um, and, and this was quite large. They built a facility for it in, I want, it was near Lake Garda, I think, in Italy. It was destroyed during World War II. But this thing had, you know, um, it was huge and multiple levels, and um, that was apparently not that uncommon back then. So uh, I think, you know, the um, various, the sea people, as um, are referred to in several cases, uh, I think people got around um quite well uh between cultures and um i think you know just the the patterns of currents in the atlantic made for relatively easy trade if you had the the manpower to move things around yeah absolutely and you know it, so you've been looking for atlantis for 40 years Yes, and or, or more. <laughs> I, I've I've worked and have a family in between there too, so it's not something I do all the time. Uh, yeah, I gotcha. But but in your search, it seems that 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 you've you've found that Atlantis truly is in so many different places. How do you explain that? I mean, are you looking for a um, a seed? a place where it originated, or are you looking for uh, people? Are you looking for a place, or are you looking for a people, I guess is the better way to put it. You know, I think originally I was looking for a place, and Mm -hmm. over time I think more looking for a people uh, and just trying to define, you know, who they were and, you know, what are the elements of uh, Atlantean society and try to work our way back to, you know, where are the, where are the missing pieces? 
You know, um, there's a lot of potential clues in the Edgar Casey readings, and and he takes a kind of a different spin on the whole thing, um, mm-hmm. talking about you know higher technologies and the Hall of Records and and that type of stuff. So again, that um, it changes it up a little more than just a historical um, site reference from Plato. But um, I think if you know where the um, the places are, uh, you can start to, I, I think it was, things were organized into specific patterns. Uh, some of the sites are currently above ground. Uh, a lot of them, I believe, are, are underground, uh, typically uh, somewhere between 12 and 20 feet um, uh, in North America and elsewhere. You know, in uh, Gobekli, Gobekli Tepe, for instance, uh, that was intentionally buried, but I think it would have been buried anyways um, through natural processes based on what we've seen. So, you know, some of the the prominent sites were simply built upon top of, uh, but a lot of uh-huh. it that um, might not have been uh, rebuilt was simply covered over with, you know, a dozen feet of dirt or so. So... It makes it challenging because I think there were a lot of these traditions that were um, just passed on after the fact, and I think some of them got lost. You know, if you look, just looking at something as simple as the uh, the Grimm's fairy tales, uh, the, uh-huh. the the fairy tales we tell our kids now are not the way that the Grimm's brothers wrote them down initially. No, and they I were think grim. a lot of the they, they were the, the, they were. Very violent. They were designed to scare children. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think you know a lot of these techniques and um, you know people building pyramids and things like that. Those continue to be passed on, but um, I think a lot of the later generations really didn't know why they were doing stuff. It's like, well, this is this is our tradition. This is why we do stuff. And as I made my maps, what I found was that. There were so many um, sites, uh, a lot of the newer ones didn't seem to match like they should. They were just kind of random, and I think uh, things kind of got polluted. Uh, if you look at the NASCAR lines, for instance, uh, there's mm. there's lines that overwrite uh, other lines, and I, I think the same thing took place there. You know, the, the, there was an original group of lines that were there for a reason, and then as you know, the locals knew about them, and over time, it's like, well, we need to make more of these. And they just started adding to them. And um, pretty soon you've got this, you know, just kind of a collage that doesn't really have its original meaning. And that's where I, I what I've been doing lately with the maps is trying to look back at uh, specific sites uh, that have blocks of a certain size, um, because that's, that seems to be kind of the uh, the starting point. Once you start getting blocks under a couple of tons, uh, those were done could be done by anybody. Anybody, but um, the blocks where they were, you know, two to a hundred tons, those I think are probably um, of this original civilization, whether it's Atlantis or what, whatever the original name was. Yeah, it's, it does seem as though. Um, I, I, I mean, 
the only way you can explain it is, you know, I sometimes have thought, especially looking at Egypt, that um, a lot of those huge statues were actually life-size. So maybe it was giants that did a lot of this stacking of things. Um, yeah, there's a lot of legends I, to that effect. Really? There's, I mean, I, I know that well, there were giants in those not, days. Not with, yeah. not with Egypt specifically, but um, there's a, a sword in Japan that is um, it's roughly 12 feet long and weighs 35 pounds. And uh-huh. who, you know, unless somebody had a... Um, wanted it as a very cool ornament. If that was actually used <laughs> by somebody, they they had to have been, you know, fifteen to twenty feet tall. And there's lots of legends about um, uh, these giants all over the world. Uh, but oh, yeah. uh, so far, no real evidence of it. Uh, supposedly, there was a, quite a bit of evidence that uh, the, the um, Smithsonian had during the twenties. And um, they took it out into the Atlantic and dumped it off a boat. Yep, but, off um, a barge. Yep. So we'll never know. I, no, and, you know, it's it's sort of like um, the things that we take for granted in, in another hundred years. Uh, I mean, have you seen, there's a video on, on YouTube someplace where they, they gave a whole bunch of teenagers a dial telephone, and they couldn't make it work. Sure. They didn't know how to dial, so so that uh, you, you know we may be we may be trying to figure out something that was just so second nature to a group of people thousands of years ago that it never occurred to them that somebody wouldn't understand what it was they were doing. Right. But it, One it of the- does I. I, I do believe that that uh you know from from everything that I've read and and all the people I've talked to I think there was a culture a civilization and yeah. I I I at this point in time I do believe it it came from as I said before it came from before the last extinction so that so that they were survivors and they may well have been scattered all over the world um, when something hit so that so that they were in areas where they had to make do and they became probably leaders or or people in charge mm-hmm. because they had they had a greater know how and were able to pass on that know how but but once several generations passed that no, that know how kind of got lost. Right, and and, you know, I, and I think you can see that just even today with our technology. Um, you know, t- take a tractor for instance. Um, if if you bought a tractor, uh, one of the things that's uh, been happening lately with a lot of farmers is that there uh, there's a lot of demand for tractors that were built before 1980 uh, because they're relatively simple. To maintain and you can fix them yourself. Um, uh-huh. Tractors that are made today are all computerized, and when the computer goes, you're stuck. You know, you've got to yep. get a authorized repair person to get 
to come in and fix things. So I can see something like that happen. The other thing that you know, people, it, it, once you start talking about potentially advanced technology, and they want to say, well, where are the machines? Where's the evidence? Well, all you have to do is kind of look at our own technology for the last 50 years. And, you know, we reached a point where we had giant machines and stuff. And now we're starting to become you know, environmentally conscious. And, you know, the technologies that we're coming up with um, actually are designed to go away. You know, they, um, they're designed to work with, with, with nature. So, you know, we're making plastic bags that self-decompose. You know, um, I, I think that the Atlantis people reached a point where their technology would disappear in a, a, a very short period of time uh, globally, you know, a few hundred years, uh, just because uh -huh. they tried to be environmentally conscious. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that I've seen that, uh, from an artistic perspective and stuff, they like to do things um, playing with light and sound and may have had a different concept of art than what uh, we think of today. Uh, there's evidence of terraforming on a large scale uh, in, uh -huh. in a lot of areas and not just things that are a couple of hundred feet across, things that um, may only show up from space that are miles across. So, Somebody was thinking about art and how things were organized on a, a much larger scale. I mean, the, the Nazca lines is one of the more obvious things. You know, it was designed to be seen from, you know, above the earth, which, you know, they're still debating on how they did that. But um, they can't be seen from ground level. And there are um, many of these types of geoglyphs and, you know, patterns around the, uh, the world. Uh, one of the, the amazing things that I like about Machu Picchu is not the construction itself, but there is an entire mountain range uh, that is off in the distance that's the face. And the, this face shows up all over North America and South America in different, in different ways. And it's the, you know, the profile of a, a man who probably had a beard. Um, uh -huh. But... Um, yeah, somebody spent a lot of time you know, modifying nature to um, to meet their artistic needs. Well, in South Africa, uh, Dean Lapini has a, a book on, um, and, and they have faces all over um, sure. that 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 are astounding, and they're huge, um, and and yet. You know, they're they're just they're there in the mountains, and you don't you don't actually um, notice them unless somebody points them out. And and sometimes they, you can only see them at certain times of the day or certain times of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the oh, you're right. um, at, at Chichen Itza is a good example of the serpent that goes down the side of the pyramid uh, on the solstice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that took a little bit of planning. Uh, you also have the the ball court there, which is designed acoustically, so you can you know you clap uh, in one part of the ball court, and the the sound echoes 
I for, I, there's a certain number of times that it echoes and it has a certain meaning. I forget what the exact number is. But um, that doesn't happen by chance. No, there there are architects that that are brilliant and but but when you look at the world population at that particular at these particular times, I mean it was it was it was not extreme. I keep going back to the Coral Castle then in Florida too. Um, mm-hmm. Now, how that was built, they they haven't. I I think it's amazing. You know, this this happened just in the in the last couple hundred years. How how could they not be able to figure out how that man did that? Yeah, he left some clues. Um, his name was Edward Lee Scanlon, and uh, uh-huh. he, he wrote a book about it. He was he was a very eccentric character. Um, the the closest anyone saw to him moving one of the blocks was he hired, had to hire a truck. He had to move the whole thing. He built it, and then I don't remember the exact um, details, but he had to move it from its original site to where it is now, and he had to hire a truck driver. To, to move the blocks, and um, he basically made the guy go take a walk while he moved each one, and he never actually got to see him do it. But from his um, just the the things that he left behind, it did seem to uh, involve something with either electricity or magnetism, um, uh-huh. and but I don't know beyond that. They've never actually. Um, figured it out. He said he you you can figure out what he did from his books, but I've looked at them and they're um <laughs> they're not that revealing. But he no, said he I... did basically the same thing that the Egyptians did. Dang. And there's lots um, of you know, if you look at uh, Easter Island for instance, you know, the legend says that the blocks mark you know, they march themselves into their own position. So um, uh-huh. And that there's been a lot of the stories about blocks being floated to different locations. So I'm sure there was well, something they, going they, on there. They talk about Merlin, you know, helping to build Stonehenge by you know right. moving the blocks by levitation. So, um, and, and you know, the more you talk about all of these 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 stories that have come through time. If they've managed to come through time, there has to be a meaning to them. I don't think there's any story, fable, legend, whatever, that that we still are repeating that doesn't have the element of truth in them. So that, you know, it's it's sort of like you're right. It's hidden in plain it's hidden in plain sight, and and you kind of wonder if you could get somebody from that time frame, you know, and bring them forward in time. They look at you like you know. Well, you don't know how to do that, you know. Right. <laughs> um, right. But but you know, with a lot of our technology today, they have built in obsolescence, so that they sure. are intentionally building things that won't mm. last, so that you have to go out and buy more. But um, it 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 boggles my mind that that with with the brains that we've got, you know, the brain the brain banks that we've got. That we haven't been able to figure out some of this stuff over over the the generations that have been looking at them and trying to figure them out. Um, well, I think you know we're we're just getting to the point where we're starting to have some of the the same technologies that were present uh, back then. There's a couple of artists, and I can't think of their names, 
but um, they do stuff with stone, and um, they they basically are able to mold it um, into pretty much any shape that they they want. And there's stories from South America about uh, certain plants being used to essentially dissolve stone, and that uh-huh. um, fits with a lot of what seems to have been done at a lot of the Inca sites, for instance. Uh, but there's also evidence of um, blocks being cut as well. And even in um, uh, in Egypt, the uh, outside of the, uh, the the pyramid are referred to. There's an area referred to as the boat pits. Um, uh-huh. I don't know, I, um, but they actually, um, based on Chris Dunn's work, uh, he estimates that those were actually uh, the the mounting spaces for a saw that was roughly, I think it was like 27 feet across, which would account yeah. for, because he, um, he looked at the, the where the tool marks are on some of the blocks that they found that were cut, they indicate a saw that was massive. So I think there was a combination of techniques that were used to you know, the the pyramid itself isn't all neatly cut um, blocks. There's actually a lot of fill in between. Uh, there's the interior blocks, which are uh, very precise. And then, you know, in between there are some, I, I think there were some foundational stones and then a lot of uh, fill stones that were kind of poured in b- between. And then you had the casing stones of which most of them are gone. I think they were stripped off. Uh, thousands yeah. of years ago to make uh, bi- local buildings and stuff. But, no, you know, just, a uh, variety of techniques. And I think we're just, you know, we're starting to be able to do some of the same things that um, I think were, were done back then. So so the people, actually, that, that we'll call them the Atlanteans, that, that were so... Mm-hmm advanced, it would seem to me that where they came from possibly is not there anymore, but but it, it, it just feels to me as though there, there, there has to be some way of, see, again, I come to consciousness, you know, how they were able to perceive all of this and and take it, you know, from, it feels like that they were able to come into a culture that was not advanced and, and shoot them ahead a thousand years or so as far as, you know, being able to work with things. Um, and the only explanation that, that, that there is for how that jump in technology with, with the pyramids, with Pumapunka, with Mm-hmm. The Mayan, with with you know so many of them, um, there there just is such a leap in in workmanship, if you will. Um, right. And, and, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't it just, sustained it, though. It it um, it seemed to be it seemed to have served a purpose, and then it was forgotten about. So I think you had was, all, a, a variety of these advanced. Um, structures that were built uh, and then in many cases if you look at uh, some of the stones in Baalbek 
they didn't even finish cutting them. They just left them. So something stopped the process. You know, the the stones at Puma Punku, um look like, uh, you know, children's toys that are scattered around. It's it's all broken up, and uh, yeah, clearly there were earthquakes in the region, but um, the any traditions that might have existed for how they were constructed uh, seems to have gone away rather as quickly as it showed up. So you have you these giant gener- buildings... Well, could it could it have been could it have been generational? You know, it it lasted for a couple of generations and then probably. Um, yeah, I well, think. even if that it, even once if we that start happened, digging, be- mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say once uh, once you get start going back further than the Younger Dryas uh, event. I think you'll start uh-huh. finding some interesting things. Um, uh, but again, so much has been um, built on top of and destroyed in the process. I'm not sure how much is still there. Um, I know during you know, the 20s, and I, I, I used to live in West Texas, and you know, th- you've heard of the uh, Rockwall, uh, the town of Rockwall there. Uh, there's a, uh-huh. a fairly large structure underground, uh, but... Um, I had wanted to see that at one point, but I had heard of uh, some roads that are essentially made of glass or glass-like blocks, and they've been found in uh, Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, and in Texas. And I thought the – I forget where the area was. It was near San Angelo, which is not near Rockwall. Uh, But during the 50s, there was a – uh, stream that uh, washed out and exposed one of these roads. And apparently a lot of the locals just gathered them up and used them for, they were nice paving stones. So uh, there's a lot of people <laughs> in uh, West Texas that have, you know, pavers in their yard that may have been part of, you know, Atlantean roads. Uh, some of the ones that were better built, um, uh, there's uh, stories of um, people trying to build uh Sellers and different foundations in the the 20s and 30s, and they would hit one of these layers, and they'd just give up and have to go somewhere else because it was too hard to cut through. Huh. So I think um, once people get comfortable or academics get comfortable dealing with some of the sites they're seeing that are 10,000 plus years, um, they may start finding other things and then start digging back to, you know, 20, 30,000 and seeing what's still out there. Well, you you look at the Bosnian pyramids that are supposedly over 40,000 right. years old, um, yep. and the ceramic stones. Are you familiar with them at all, the ceramic stones that are in there that help to keep them from being flooded? Not specific. They're part of the, the Bosnian pyramids? Yeah, the, sure. in the tunnels. Okay. Yeah, in the tunnels okay. there are these cer- ceramic stones and they're ceramic, and apparently they moved one of them, and the tunnel immediately flooded, so they, they now leave them oh. alone uh, because it, it helps to keep them dry. And <clears throat> and again, another, you know, how did you do it? Who did you? I, Darren Kuyu. Um, yes, I was just going to say, you had the, uh, when you said the uh, these ceramic stones, the, Darren Kuyu has these giant discs that yeah. uh, closed off the 
the different tunnel systems. And they estimate that those had populations of, you know, up to 10,000 people living in them at one point. Why would you have 10,000 people living underground anywhere? Um, you know, we don't do that with today. Their, with their animals. Yep. I, yeah, exactly. So, I'm sure they had a very good reason. <laughs> You'd have to really be convincing to get me to uh, go below ground like that. And, and, and clearly, I mean, they had sources of water but and air, but um, they weren't growing crops there for sure. So, right. um, well, And I think again, you can kind of take some clues from Gobekli Tepe uh, because that was intentionally buried. Um, you know, the, what, what I think happened with the Younger Dryer event, uh, I don't think it was a surprise. I think they knew it was going to happen. Um, they mm-hmm. couldn't prevent it, obviously. Uh, but to the extent possible, um, they tried, people who were able to uh, left the areas and, and moved underground. But, but the... the um... Younger dryer days went on for several thousand years. I mean, yeah, there it was. There were a couple you know, of different it, events. Yeah, it, I mean, it's not like you know we have to we have to you know shelter in place for six six months. You're, you're talking generations, right? So so um, how can uh, um, you know, it just it, it blows my mind that that. Um, I think that the Hopi have a survived. tradition of the have um, seven seven uh, ages of man and how mm-hmm. uh, or the in Mexico the ant people talking about them living underground. You know the 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 concept of uh, living underground at some point around the time that uh, the Garden of Eden and stuff took place uh, is is one of those global concepts. So if they knew this was happening or maybe they, you know, after it happened, that was the only place that they knew it was safe because it's possible that the, um, the asteroids may have, you know, it wasn't, didn't just happen one day and destroyed everything. This probably went on for quite some time. Yeah. Can you, and, and I can see how, if that was the case, if you were underground for, years, generations, that once you finally made it back into the light, you no longer, you know, could grow crops, you no longer, you know, whatever whatever animals had survived, you know, had to be hunted, and they weren't domesticated mm-hmm. anymore. And in um, uh, th- there's a cave in France and Chauvet and a uh, mm-hmm. cave of dreams and you're you're talking artwork and and stuff that that goes back thousands yeah, of 40, thousands of years. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And and they're they're uh, um it's fascinating. They don't let people in except for a very short periods of time and they have to stay on the little the little um pathways that not pathways but the little ramps that they have laid yeah. out there. I don't think they and, let anybody in anymore. They um they created a um, a, a laser model of it that you can go in, but unless you're an academic, I don't think they let people in at all anymore. Oh, you know, tourists can't go in for sure. Right. But what, yeah. what's what's fast what's fascinating is that 
in the floor in in the floor are the footsteps of a young child and a wolf or or a panther mm-hmm. I forget what it was right next to one another so that either either they were different time frames or or the wolf or the panther whatever it was had been domesticated to a degree and and you know you just you think about antiquity of that age and most people are thinking um Homer and Barney and or or you know ape type people you know dragging their knuckles yeah. on the floor and when you see the paintings that are on those walls there's a documentary on YouTube it's called um Cave of Dreams and yes. um it's it's amazing the the artwork is just so well, alive it's a map. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I just uh, it, it it does boggle your minds when you think that these we tend to think of primitive people as primitive minds, and that's not the case. Right. So that so that they may not have had the technology, but they still had the talent, and they had the the artistic talent. I mean, they 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 created jewelry. They they created flutes. They had music. They had, um, I, I think they found some flutes that were um, out of a, a wing of, of a bird or something. I, I, I know that they they had music. And so, you know, again, going back, I, I would love to see um, a map of some sort showing what what the geography was like 40,000 years ago in these places. Sure. Be- because um, there's actually quite a few examples of that. It's it um what I find interesting is that even though we know what the coastlines were 10 20,000 years ago, um mm-hmm. people really don't think, okay, well where did people live at that time? And you know, based on historical patterns of um where people lived they probably lived in those areas that are now underwater. Wow. Well, probably. Uh, all you have to do is look at, yeah, just look at the um, population of the United States and where people live. You know, they Roughly mm-hmm. 80% of the population is within 500 feet of sea level, and that's been true throughout history. You know, you have things like the Atlantic Trench. Now, that still had to be... That still had to be water, I would think. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's awfully deep. Um, sure. But but our oceans weren't quite so big, and I mean, you could walk from France to England, and mm-hmm. y- you know, uh, you, you 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 don't think of that. You think of the globe as it is today, and you you just wonder how could that possibly have happened. But but um, the geography was so different, and you're right. Everybody clusters around the shoreline. I wonder why yeah. that is. And even elevations it, it, were were different too. You know, um, uh-huh. uh, Bolivia and Peru area were much lower uh, in sea level than they are today. Uh, but you know, the, the planet's always moving, so that makes it uh, hard as well. Especially with my maps, when you if, the further you go back in time, things have shifted. So, if it was designed off of fairly precise uh, coordinates, um, 
you know, the distance between uh, London and New York today is not what it would have been 20,000 years ago. You know, the, um, Atlantic, the, uh, the Atlantic is expanding, the uh, Pacific is contracting. So huh. we have a, a constantly moving planet. We still haven't, you know, obviously there was a culture that was highly evolved that that was scattered across the globe and and sort of blended in and became indigenous with whatever culture was there at the time and enhanced them greatly. But you, you kind of want to know where did they come from. Right. And where did they go? You know, they... They seem to have been around for a, a short period of time, and then um, we went kind of through some sort of a dark age, you know, where uh, the old knowledge was, was you know, wiped out. And we've done mm-hmm. this to ourselves. You know, the, well, the destruction of the um, Library of Alexandria, probably, you know, a lot of questions could have been answered there. But, oh, my gosh, you know, yeah. It was burned, and... And look at all the scrolls from uh, the Mayans that uh, the uh, the Spanish destroyed because it was it was blasphemy. You know, there's only three scrolls of an entire culture that survived. And that's because so, we yeah. were too primitive to understand it. Right. I mean, you know, if if it's not Christian, it doesn't count. Um, right. I mean, it, it, when you think of, I, I often say that, that the, the Europeans invaded um, North America. They they didn't come to civilize. They came to invade. And what they didn't understand, they wiped out. So, right. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little sad and very embarrassing what, what we have done to who, those who were indigenous here. But... But they weren't the the people that were living here were not the first people either and and I think that's what that's what is so um upsetting confusing and and befuddling because you know we're just dealing with what's on the surface we don't know what's what's beneath the surface, and there are tunnels that are in the earth that that we don't know where they came from or who made them. And And whole cave systems that, you know, they just found a giant cavern system under Montreal. It's huge. There's, um, you know, cave networks and uh, underground uh, systems that are all over the globe. And uh, they, most of them show signs of being occupied by humans at some point in the past. Well, even even when we had, you know, the ice age, it, it didn't it didn't cover the entire planet. So that there were areas on right. the planet that that um, South America seems to have gotten off pretty easily, and, and Australia as well. And, yep, and I mean, we, we, um, I think those became uh, huge sources of food production. You know, between uh, agriculture in the Amazon basin. And um, in uh, Peru, uh, a lot of commercial fishing, uh, there's evidence that uh, they, um, they shipped 
uh, fish inland and elsewhere. Uh, and you had areas that uh, made a lot of textiles as well. A lot of exporting of things around the globe. Well, it, it does speak to the, uh, to, to the perseverance of humanity in that in the, they and and of course these things didn't happen well the younger driest day did kind of happen overnight but and but for the most part you know ice ages and things like that didn't come on you know overnight they it was a period of time that that it evolved but um when when you think about it, i i think i read someplace that the younger dryas had um it's um, impact was greatest with North America, or they, uh, that North America got, right. you know, the brunt of it, so to speak. So that would explain why we weren't as populated as other places on the planet were. Yep. There, but I kind of uh, go back. Two, go I believe there were two main events. They thought that there's melt, melt, what they call meltwater pulse. Um, I think A and B were two uh, aspects where they saw significant differences so of um, melting of um, the ice caps. Ice. And yeah. um, I, I think there were multiple uh, instances where uh, we were hit with, with asteroids. Well, there's ones for sure right off the Yucatan Peninsula. Uh, but they, Yeah, that I one don't I think is they... much older. Yep. So, I don't think uh, that's a recent one. Well, no, <laughs> not without memory, yeah. not without you know, not with a living memory for sure, for sure. But you take a look at the moon and you see all of the all of the craters and everything that are on the moon, and you wonder why the Earth doesn't have as many. But then there's so much uh, ocean here that that probably a lot of them have you know hit the ocean. And uh, right. so, so, you know, so we don't really have any idea as to what's what's under there. But uh, in, in a way, well, it's, it's an, kind of... Go ahead. I was just going to say there's an area uh, of northern Mexico just south of the uh, U.S. border that um, a- actually tends to get more asteroid strikes than anywhere else. And uh, supposedly you can go there and just pretty much watch them fall out of the sky or or pick up small uh, meteorites um, all over the place. So wow. there are certain areas that are likely to get hit. I mean, obviously it doesn't hit hit with big stuff, but uh, lots of little uh, meteorites in large quantities. And there's the theory, too, that uh, the moon has kind of acted as a deflector or a shield for a lot of these because there's lots of objects in our solar system rolling around. Well, you know the, the you know the Bible talks about you know uh, fire falling from the sky and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. that's you know I would clearly think those were meteor strikes. Um, well, Sodom but, and Gomorrah yeah, it, in particular, they um, there are if you travel around the area where it supposedly existed, you can find little um, they're balls of sulfur um, that would be. Um, tied to a potential meteor strike. Yeah, I was going to say that there, there's, there's parts of, of 
sand that had been come, become glass. It's almost like it was a nuclear explosion, but it but an asteroid, you know, big enough could certainly have, um, you know, uh, wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. I, it, 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 it makes you it makes you take another look at you know what could this have been you right. know that 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 it it was it was it was recorded for so many hundreds maybe thousands of years that it had to be something that really did happen and then of course it became myth and fable and um and then people tend to ignore it but uh i i i i would say, you know i can't think of anything lately that that is of that significance that you know we would we would be trying to to preserve knowledge of it in stone so to speak um at right. this point well, anyhow yeah i mean we today we've got various seed banks around the world and um you know the um nasa's always on the lookout for what they refer to as near earth objects so mm-hmm. you know we um historically i think the Earth gets hit by a relatively large object about every hundred or so years. The the last main one was um, the Tunguska um, event oh, that yeah. took place in Russia, assuming that was a, a meteorite. Um, but that tends to be, you know, we're 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 overdue at this point. For I figured with 2020, that was uh, one of the last things on the bingo card that we didn't have happen in 2020. But <laughs> Uh, I, I'm hoping we dodged the bullet there. <laughs> yeah, I, I we haven't really had any big big things coming from space, but I I would say that 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 as far as our environment goes, we've got earthquakes and floods and stuff like that enough so that we have disaster without it coming from outside of the planet. Um, sure. And and you know our our climate is changing, but. I think it's a change that I, I think there is a a cycle of climate change that's going on, and the only thing is it's a cycle it, it's a cycle that that is thousands of years old. So that you know we're trying to blame <clears throat> cows for it, and I don't think that's cause. I mean, I think we do pollute. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. But um, but it just um, it's a matter of. Uh, trying to to put blame on something and cars and stuff like that this planet you know has survived millions and millions of years and you know probably in some of the past times between mass destructions there have been civilizations that that have abused the planet as much as we have right. and um, and they've there's been um some research of uh the upper atmosphere which seems to indicate that uh, there was an industrial civilization at some point in the remote past. So, and I do, wow. do agree that you know the cycles of um, you know climate change are geologic, uh, but at the same time, uh, I think we've accelerated uh, the cycle for our purposes. You know, something that might not have happened naturally for another. 500 to 1,000 years, I think we've definitely accelerated it through our own purposes. But the the good news, I think, is that the more advanced we become, um, you know, the more likely we are to uh, become energy 
efficient, energy efficient, and um, eliminate our carbon footprint and potentially reduce the the overall impact that we have on the planet. Well, maybe they'll let us use the Tesla Energy finally. Um, yeah, I mean you're that, starting that to be, see it in small. Nice. Yeah, I mean I have a, a wireless charger for my phone on my desk. You know, you're starting to mm-hmm. see those much more. Uh, and you know, that's you know that's basic Tesla technology that um, I think you'll start seeing that on a larger scale where you don't have to be you know touching the object. You'll be able to you know, charge your, you know, whatever from a distance. Well, that would be cool. But, you know, getting back to um, <clears throat> advanced technology and coming into a primitive time, I would hope that they were so far advanced that they realized that they weren't going to be able to share everything and I would like to think that they left records someplace for for and that's, for your benefit, yep. if nothing else. <laughs> sure, you know the if if you follow the Casey readings, um, he indicates that there are actually three of three halls of records, um, mm-hmm. one in Egypt, uh, one in the Bimini area, and a third that is probably. Um, at a Mayan site called uh, Piedras Negras. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll see what happens there. It would, you know, and and you know, there was a um, a Twilight Zone uh, episode a long time ago about a man who loved to read and had a wife who who yes. nagged him, and you know he he somehow survived a nuclear holocaust and found himself at the library with finally time to read everything, and then he dropped his glasses and stepped his glasses, on them. Yes. And yep. and I have a feeling that something similar may happen with with our generation that that we will stumble upon these records and not recognize them and make a patio out of them or something. You know, I I just. It, it seems yep. to me that, that records have been left and, like you said it, hidden in plain sight, and and that if we could only take the time to decipher them before we destroyed them. Um, right. I, 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 do, I do believe that, that, that there, are, there, there is knowledge preserved, and we just haven't found it. And, and but once we find it, are we going to be able to interpret it? Or, or know how to access it. You know, you've probably yeah. heard of the crystal skulls, you know, sure. and, um, you know, the Mitchell Hedges skull, that's thought to be a possible, you know, storage medium of sorts uh-huh. because people have claimed to be able to uh, see things inside of it. And, you know, theoretically, you know, storing information holographically or electrically within some sort of a quartz structure um, is kind of what we do now with uh, modern semiconductors. Uh, The other possibility is that, um, you know, depending on how advanced we're talking about, the the safest way to store anything uh, would actually be in DNA. And, you know, assuming they were at that level... Yeah, we have a fair amount of junk DNA in 
ourselves. Uh, I have this crazy theory, which it would be interesting if it ever proves true, that um, cats may actually be the the source of uh, DNA storage because cats have the highest amount of junk DNA of any species. And it's like, why do they have all this extra DNA? But culturally, cats have always been companions and stuff. So uh-huh. if they ever had that capability, that would be a good place to um, to store it because, you know, cats are, uh, they're, they're domesticated. We don't eat them. Um, and they're likely to be part of our culture for, for eons. Uh, the, yeah. the likelihood that the um, uh, Hall of Records or whatever is stored in, you know, um, paper or papyrus or um, yeah, I don't believe that uh, skin skin based. Uh, it's it's too likely to be destroyed. Uh, and if they uh-huh. had some sort of an advanced culture, I think they would have had some sort of an advanced storage mechanism as well. Whether it was um, you know holographic or um, or DNA, those, those would be the likely two, assuming they had the technology. Well, for your sake and mine, I hope we figure it out because, you know, I'd hate to have this dilemma follow me into my next incarnation. <laughs> um, I just saw the time. Sure. Um, this, this, I know, we this get talking and fast. just keep going. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to thank you so much. I, People, you should go look at the atlantisproject.org. He's got great information there, and if if and anybody I'd like to out hear there from has... people too. Okay. Yeah, you know, I I always like to hear new theories and you know compare uh, notes with different people because um, I found that no no one person has all the answers, and mm-hmm. I think our best chance of solving the mystery is to collaborate. Oh, I I would I would agree with you totally, and I I, I plan on keeping in touch and and checking in with you um, more frequently than once every decade. Um, okay, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. I want to thank you so much for, for sharing all of your stuff with us. Um, you you have answered a lot of questions and created a lot more. So um, people should check your website out. And um, I, will, I, I, I want to thank you again. This has been such a pleasure, and um, I will keep in touch with you. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Take care now and good night. All right. Thanks, Barb. Okay, everybody, thanks for visiting us. Do check out the YouTube channel. Um, if you like what you see, please subscribe to it. That's the way we figure out people are actually listening. So um, until next time, have a wonderful evening, and we will be back at you next week. Good night now.